All right, we're back on Money Talk today. And uh, with the view from China, we've switched it up a little bit. We decided more Andrew. More cowbell? No, more Andrew. We've got Andrew Sullivan, Managing Director of Outset Global, uh, who is pinch hitting. For those of you that know baseball, he's pinch hitting uh, in to come and give us the view from mainland China. Good morning, Andrew Sullivan. Good morning. Great to have you on. Uh, truly appreciative and grateful uh, to have you on because it's a big day for news uh, on the finance and economic sector in China with some big appointments being made. Which ones did you have your eye on the most? Well, I think the fact that they have decided to keep uh, the, the governor of the PBOC and the finance minister in place is, is important because obviously people are worried about the, the debt situation, the property sector situation in China. So giving markets continuity there, especially when you consider that a lot of Xi's inner cabinet really uh, don't have that same financial knowledge or international exposure, I think the market will take that as very positive. I think also what Xi is looking to do there, apart from just giving more confidence to the market, is to make sure that the guys he wants in those positions in maybe two or three years' time have had very good mentoring over that time. So he will, he will be pairing these guys up because they've reached the statutory um, retirement age. They're making an exception there, but it allows them to keep continuity uh, and to really mentor up the people that will be running that for probably the next five to seven years. I hear what you're saying about uh, kind of extending them past the normal uh, mandatory retirement age. I know Yi Gong was appointed to a, a top government advisory body that, along with that appointment, allows them to circumvent the usual retirement limits. Um, I guess a lot of it seems like a lot of people were expecting more of a shakeup and seem to be happy uh, with the continuity. Um, one of the things that I've been keeping an eye on over the years and written a couple of reports on is the introduction of a central bank digital currency. And Yi Gong is, uh, you know, kind of more and more taken the lead on that in the past 18 months or so. But it hasn't been, you know, it, it hasn't been rolled out universally yet, although there's been a lot of test projects underway. Uh, do you think that's another one of the projects they want to see if he can bring it, bring it to fruition before he... Uh, gets a heads yeah, up in the sunset? Certainly the digital currency is very important for China, um, mainly because, uh, and again largely because of what it's seen in Ukraine as much as what it was already uh, aiming to do before that. But that is realistically to try and squeeze the US dollar out of, uh, of usage as far as China is concerned because it doesn't want to be beholden to the US. Mm -hmm. Now obviously the US dollar is the international standard, but where... Where China's trying to, um, you know, in, enhance its position is a coming out first with its digital currency over other countries and hoping to set a benchmark, but b trying to get countries along its Belt and Road system to, to use that digital currency rather than using U.S. dollars. Now it's not, it's not going to make a huge impact to the amount of U.S. dollars used in the near term, but it could have a, a more meaningful impact in the longer term. Okay. I, I mean, you know, we said uh, vote of confidence that Yi Gong is being retained, but I mean, with this new regulatory body that was announced last week, we talked about it on the show, uh, it, it seems like some responsibilities of the People's Bank of China are going to be pulled away from it and put into this new super regulatory body. Uh, what is your take on this new regulatory body and, and how that's going to change the uh, financial and economic landscape in China? Well, I think the, the thing you really have to look at is, is, is that what Xi has been trying to do is put the party in more control. It, it's trying to take uh, power away from a number of the government bodies and put it very much in the party control. Uh, and that's just a continuation of what we're seeing there. It's, it's, you know, he, through COVID, he, he saw how much power the party could have right down to the individual block 
you know, housing block that you lived in, how much party control could be exerted. Uh, and I, he likes that. Um, the fact that he's keeping the continuity there in the meantime, I think, is, is almost a, um, you know, tipping his hat to the market and saying, yes, I realise you need to see some confidence building stuff and this, is, this will be one of the building blocks there. But at the end of the day, I think this is really about the party taking more control in everything that happens in China, be it business or social or whatever. And I mean, the, the appointment of uh, Li Qiang as premier, uh, the the number one major domo of the economy in China, I think is, is uh, I, I think you'll agree with me that that's, that's a big sign of that. Uh, but are we expecting for him to make any radical changes in the near in the near to medium future? I don't think it's a matter of him taking radical changes in the near future. I mean, obviously, we will be watching the question and answer session this morning at ten thirty uh, at his normal uh, press uh, answers session. But I think I think the, the key things going forward, whereas his predecessor was at one point seen as a contender to the top job, to the president's job in China, and keeping him as number two rather thwarted a lot of what was going on and, and, and I think a lot of people feel it undermined the, um, the position as Premier. But the reality is that now Xi's got somebody that's very much on the same page as he is. So Xi's policies uh, will be implemented and we saw that in the, in the Shanghai lockdown. Hmm. But it probably also means that Xi will be more open to listening to comments, to, to getting that back chat uh, from somebody that he's known before he got the top job somebody that he can, I, I believe, you know, trust to give him an honest answer. Whereas I think a lot of the bureaucrats in China, you know, he's not sure whether they're just yes men saying yes because he's the premier or whether they really mean it. So he's, he's gathered a circle of people around him that he trusts. He's, he's, he's managed to get rid of all the opposing factions as well at the same time. Uh, and that you know, could give them more scope to, uh, to be more honest with him than maybe some of the others in the past have been. Hmm. And as you said, those those uh, comments we're going to be watching at uh, 10.30 today. I'm sure we'll talk about them on tomorrow's uh, Money Talk. But do you think they're revising any of their, their comments or their speeches over, you know, over the weekend in preparation for this morning, given what's happening in the United States, either to take you know, shots at the American financial system and say why well, the Chinese system is better, um, or maybe are they concerned about uh, the exposure of either Chinese tech or biotech companies to these uh, collapsing banks in the United States, do you think there's going to be any uh, kind of, you know, really up to date or is this an American problem and they are steady as she goes? Yeah, I don't think they're going to make a lot of changes, to be honest. I mean, the, the comments we've seen so far from Shanghai and other places are the fact that, you know, while some of the tech companies have, um, you know, exposure to the, uh, to the Silicon Valley Bank, that exposure is minimal. And in most cases, it's a matter of deposits uh, and the U.S. government has said that they're going to protect deposits. Uh, so that's that's good news for them. I think going forward, though, I mean, we know that China wants to become more self-sufficient as far as tech is concerned. In some respects, the, the, the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank is a slight disadvantage because it had been a big supporter of tech companies in China, uh, and it has its own banking there up in Shanghai. So in, in some respects, it's a little bit of a negative, I think, for China, but it's not something that I think they're going to, to dwell on. I think they've got far more bigger issues with the state of the property sector uh, and people's confidence in the sector there and in local government financing. So, you know, by keeping the continuity of the banking there, these guys have been working on these problems for the last three or four years. Um, 
you know, we hopefully will get a good solution. Yeah, I guess they don't want to show too much shade in Freud if, uh, like you said, I, I was going to bring that up. The, we've talked about it on the show last week, uh, property sector. And like you said, the municipal government, uh, I mean, have you seen, are, are you expecting more measures to be announced uh, over the next few days to shore up either the property sector or the municipal governments? I think we'll probably see, and, and again, because of the restructuring, that the, the funding for the local governments comes under a new body. I think what we'll probably see, I mean, they've made the right comments as far as the market wants to, wants to hear about not, you know, uh, leveraging the system up again. But in reality, they've got too much debt, uh, and they're going to have to repackage that debt in order to be creating scope for the local authorities to do more funding. So I think in the short term, uh, they're going to be saying all the things the market wants to hear. But probably in the in the slightly longer term, we'll see them reverting to type and going back to, you know, repackaging this, these existing loans because they can't afford to repay them, creating more leverage in the system, and then using that to to rekick the cyclical start of their economy. Okay, and they think that uh, you know uh, having increasing party involvement in supervision of these is going to be better than just having pure technocrats with their eye on the ball. Yeah, I mean it, this is this is just following he's been doing for the last five to seven years, which is, you know, he's a real believer that the party is the only one of all these problems. Okay. Um, we've seen that in, in Common Prosperity. Yeah. Now, they will tweak that around a little bit to try and, you know, encourage the market. We saw last week that he was saying the private sector is important, yet you know, over the last two or three years, we've seen him cut back on the private sector and undermine a number of the, the very profitable industries that were there. Yeah, but exactly. Then, you know, yeah, and that's that's pretty much where they've gone. Said, well, we do realise that, you know, you guys are the ones creating the jobs, so we do know that we need you. So he's in a... True, he's, he's yeah. A hey, we've got to go. Thank you very much, Andrew Sullivan.